Well, this morning we're continuing in our series in Exodus, uh, looking at what it means to be a holy people. And what we'll see this morning is how God responds to um, the people then in their rebellion and to us today when we come to him in repentance. Because God, it says here in verse 6 of Exodus 36, says 34, says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your compassion and your grace towards us, even when we continue to let you down. We confess the areas of our lives where we have failed to be faithful to you. We confess the things we have worshipped more than you. We confess the people we've failed to love in the way you call us to love them. Forgive us, we pray. And thank you that forgiveness is possible because of Jesus' death for us on the cross and because he continues to intercede for us today. So we pray that you bless our time together this morning and help us by the power of your spirit to grow in our love for you and in our obedience to you. Lord, we pray for our church family, for all those who are struggling in different ways at this current time, those feeling lonely and isolated, those feeling anxious or stressed, those experiencing physical or mental pain. Comfort all of these people, Lord, and strengthen them, we pray. And be with Colin as he comes to preach shortly from your word, that his teaching will be clear and faithful, that you would use it to change our hearts to become more holy in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus 32 verses 1 to 16, followed by Exodus 34 verses 1 to 17. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? 
Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give you your descendants all this land I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant, law, in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. Exodus 34, verses 1 to 17. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make any idols. Good morning. Uh, As we come to this passage this morning, what is quite a difficult passage, uh, let's pray together. Father God, we pray that you would lead us by your spirit this morning, that we would be spoken to by you, that your word would speak to us powerfully, and that we might be shaped by it, that we might worship you for who you truly are, not for who we think you are. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to submit our lives to you, to please you, and to live a life of worship for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you remember the game show called Going for Gold. Maybe I'm kind of displaying my age here. 
but I'm sure you can still remember the theme tune to Going for Gold in the 80s. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, the game show really revolved around some contestants from all over Europe, randomly, that they could play a game to win cash. And at the end of it, they were really going for gold, because gold was the pinnacle. It was the best thing that you could do. The best prize, really. And as we saw last week, that was really the best material that the Lord calls Moses to use in the construction of the tabernacle, especially when it comes to the Holy of Holies. Only only gold was to be used there. Because really, gold is symbolic of a sort of heavenly holiness. Even in, in the Garden of Eden, there was gold there. And then in the new creation, in the book of Revelation, there was gold there as well. There is a sort of heavenly holiness to it. And therefore, to use it for anything else, to use it for unholy purposes, is sinful. And that is really what happens in the life of the Israelites in this episode. Because previously, the Lord has saved them out of Egypt, and then he's given them his commandments. And then he's graciously said that he will dwell among them, having made a covenant with them. And yet it's not long before they turn away from the Lord and towards their own worship, towards the worship of idols. And yet, despite this, we do see that there is an intervention, because God displays his faithfulness once again. He displays his faithful covenant to his people. So really, in that light, we can praise God for his covenantal faithfulness to an unfaithful people. And we can do that as we see that Israel and Aaron's idolatry in breaking the covenant, and then Moses' intercession on behalf of his people, then lastly, God's faithfulness in renewing the covenant. So as we see really in um, in chapter 31, as it concludes, the Lord speaks to Moses and gives him the two tablets of the covenantal law. But whilst Moses is still up the mountain, the Israelites become impatient. And in doing so, they basically speak of Moses as this fellow Moses. They speak as if they don't really know who he is. And therefore, they gather around Aaron and say to Aaron, will you make us gods, gods that will go before us? And therefore, in that light, you would think Aaron would say no as the high priest of the tabernacle. But he says yes. And very willingly, he tells them to take off their gold and he makes an idol with it. He takes the gold from the people, which was supposed to be used in the construction of the tabernacle, the ark, and everything else, and he makes a golden calf, an idol. And so the question arises in the light of the Ten Commandments that have previously been given. Are they breaking the first commandment or the second commandment? Or are they breaking both? Well, as we look to verse 5 and 6 together, we'll see the answer. As it says there, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So Aaron and the Israelites, they haven't forgotten that the Lord has rescued them from Egypt. They haven't completely forgotten but with the construction of the of the idol of the golden calf, 
it's not really a substitute for the worship of God, but it's more a merging together of the worship of the Lord and the worship of a God or gods. Because as you look there in verse 5, it says, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. And so they give sacrifices in accordance with really what Moses had done in chapter 24. The different types of sacrifices, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And so there's a sense of of a merging together. Therefore, they, they break the second commandment in making an image which they then bow down to. And then they also break the first commandment in having other gods before the Lord their God. They think, they think they are worshipping the Lord, but they have decided, they've decided really to make a God of their own making. They really flip the order because they're supposed to worship a God as they are made in his image. But instead what they do is they make a God in their image and they worship that. At the top of the mountain, Moses gives, God gives clear instructions to Moses of how to live But at the bottom of the mountain, well, the people make a few changes. And as a result, well, it it leads to complete chaos. And this insults the Lord. It insults him as they don't worship the Lord for who he is, but they worship him for who they like him to be. And honestly, that is the challenge for you and I today. That's the challenge for us. Because culture will place a lot of pressure on us as Christians to compromise, to conform, to merge who God is, who he's revealed himself to be in scripture with who we would like him to be. In this case, it's really about the things like speaking of Jesus as the only way to heaven. People might say, well, I like to think there are many ways to God. Jesus is your way, but we all have our own, don't we? But the problem with that is, well, we we make up our own version of who God is, rather than seeing who God has revealed himself to be in the Bible. Without understanding who God is, it will ultimately lead us to the worship of an idol. And just as idols have no morality, so idolatry has no morality. Because as you look at the verse, at the end of verse 6 there, we see that the people, well, they... They didn't just stop worshipping God, but they, they ate and they drank and they got up to indulge in revelry. What does that mean? Well, really, it's a polite way of saying an orgy. And as a result, as it says in verse 25, they became a complete laughing stock amongst the nations. Rather than being light to the nations, they become darkness. And as we mentioned last week, we spoke about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, Romans 12.1. When we merge Christian ethics and cultural ideas, well, we don't give our bodies to God anymore. We give our bodies to the gods, the gods of the, the things around us. And that's certainly true when it comes to the topic of sex. Because the sexual ethic of God's people is purity and holiness. In other words, any sexual relations outside of the covenant of marriage is unholy. 
It is sinful. I suppose it's a bit like having a fire in your home. If you think about it, a fire belongs in a fireplace. A place where it functions as it's designed to, where it brings light and warmth to the people in the room. In that setting, fire is a good thing. A very good thing. If, however, you set the fire up in the middle of the room, it will cause damage. And if you let it burn, well, it will burn your house down. But people may say, well, we, we love one another. And so therefore, the fire that we make, well, surely God will be pleased with that. Surely he would be, wouldn't he? Well, the, the thing is, the fire is not the problem. As we say, fire is good. But there's a right setting for it. A right setting for it. A fire in a fireplace leads to warmth, light, comfort, and also a sense of peace. But fire elsewhere leads to damage. And as God's people, as God's holy people, his treasured people, we want to live lives that are distinct. And therefore we want to live lives his way and not ours. Because we want to please him, because he is pleased with us. Our Heavenly Father is pleased with us through our Lord Jesus. So we want to live pleasing lives for him, don't we? And the other part to Israel's great sin, as it says, is Aaron's leadership. Or rather, his complete lack of leadership. As Moses comes down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant, he is furious. He sees the calf and the people dancing and then he takes the tablets and smashes them to pieces. He grinds the calf down into powder, puts it into water and makes the people drink it. It's a strange thing to do. But really what he's saying is this is completely worthless. It is, and there's no polite way to say it, it becomes like excrement, like food that just goes out of the body, completely worthless. And this really is in stark contrast, in stark contrast to the pure and excellent holiness of the Lord. As idolatry is wicked in the Lord's sight. It is wicked. Because the covenantal commitment that the Lord makes with his people is very much like that of a marriage. Therefore, when the people break their covenantal vows, they're not just guilty of idolatry. They're guilty of adultery. And so therefore, it is completely deplorable in the Lord's sight. And we see why the people ended up following through, following through with these deplorable things, deplorable acts. As you see, verse 21, Moses addresses Aaron. And it says, uh, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? And then we see Aaron's response in the next verse. Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answers. Do you know how prone these people are to evil? In other words, don't look at me. It's their fault. It really does echo the words of Adam in the garden. It's not my fault, Lord. It's the woman that you put here. Instead of leading and protecting Eve, 
He chucks her under the bus. And that's exactly what Aaron does in this situation with the people. He throws them under the bus when he's supposed to be leading. And Aaron's recount of the story to Moses is almost comical. As you look at verse 24, he, he, um, he says that the, the golden idol, well, he threw this gold into the fire, and wouldn't you know it, out popped this idol. Gosh, how did that get there? I don't know. But as you look back at verse 4, we see that, well, Aaron didn't just chuck gold into a fire. No, he, he fashioned it with a tool. He was very intentional and deliberate in making this golden calf. So Aaron fails and neglects his responsibility as a leader. Instead of leading as he should have, he becomes a complete coward. And the people pay for it. And that is true of us today as leaders. In a church setting, maybe if we have to teach on topics such as hell or judgment, people may find that very difficult to hear. may find that difficult to receive. But this is the price of leadership, because we live not to please man, but to please God. And it's also true, perhaps, if you're in a role of leadership at home. You may have to make decisions based on Christian principles that other people will not agree with. Or you may be in business or in school, and you have to make policies or decisions based on ethics and integrity, which you may receive criticism for. But if we want to love God, and we do want to love God, we have to place him first, because we want to love God and then love others. And in that order, love God, love others. If we live to please people, we will please no one. And we need to really pursue these things because if we live to please people, we will pursue no, we will please no one. But the only opinion that matters is that of the Lord. His is the only opinion that matters. And that's exactly what Moses strives to do through his intercession. Moses' intercession on behalf of his people. As we look back at the story of Aaron, well, he makes a golden calf, and the people bow down to worship it. And it's not just Moses who is angry with the people. The Lord is too. As he mentions in verse 10, the Lord says, uh, the Lord says to Moses, Leave me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. But then as we look a few verses on, uh, verse 14, it says, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. At first glance, this passage does present some problems. Was the Lord being like a teenager? Was he being fickle, changing his mind? Was he just being fickle to call Moses to go away and leave him alone that he could destroy his people? And really, that element which is shocking is, did God change his mind? Now that's exactly what, if you read the NLT translation, that is what it says, that the Lord changed his mind. But we know from many other verses in Scripture that the Lord, well, he does not change. He cannot change. 
One of the the best verses for that is Malachi, Malachi 3.6, which says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. He cannot and he does not change. If we affirm that scripture is without error, well, how are we to understand this? Well, as we look at both verse 7 and verse 9, it's the Lord who calls Moses to go down to his people as he sees them acting wickedly. And as a result, he is angry with them for their sinful rebellion. The Lord knows what's happening and calls on Moses to go down to his people. As you look there at verse 11, we see that Moses, what he, what he does, how he responds, he seeks the favor of the Lord. He reminds the Lord of his redemptive acts of bringing his people out of Egypt. And he recognizes that if he destroys his people, then the nations, the enemies of God, will accuse him of having redeemed his people only to destroy them. Therefore, he appeals to the faithful, covenantal character of God, beginning with Abraham and going onwards. Moses, therefore, appeals to God's character and God's glory as well that his name would be glorified. Therefore, therefore, the Lord relents. Because God is sovereign. He is in control of the whole situation. He relents because he calls Moses to intercede for his people, just as Jesus intercedes for us today. Moses calls on God's faithful character, reminding God of who he is And therefore, he cannot wipe out his people. Because even though his people, God's people, are unfaithful, God is faithful. And that really is Moses' prayer. Yet even though God relents and does not destroy his people completely, there are still consequences. There are still consequences to their sin. And so God punishes them for their sin. As it says in verse 27 and 28 that the Lord told Moses to gather men to kill those who had taken part in idolatry. It is a dark passage, this. The killing of 3,000 people in total. And it is brutal. Because sin is brutal. Death is really sin made visible. And Israel is called to be God's holy and treasured possession, a holy nation. But instead they become a complete laughing stock. And this is because because God's holiness matters. God's glory matters. And this is true for us too in how we view sin. It is ugly and it is deadly if we leave it untouched. Because it is not really to be played with, it is to be killed in our lives. As the English Puritan John Owen says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And Moses really, he realizes the weight of the sin of the people. And says to the people in verse 30, perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. And where Aaron fails, Moses steps up. As we see there in verse 31 and 32. Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin, as he prays to the Lord. But if not, 
then blot me out of the book you have written. It is the plea of a desperate man. He cries out to the Lord, Please forgive them, Lord. Please, Lord, forgive them. But if not, then blot me out. Take my life for them. Yet Moses, well, he cannot make up for the sins of the people because he is a sinful person. And he knows it. However, there is one that can intercede for us. A perfect and sinless person. Because Jesus Christ took the full punishment of our sin upon the cross that we would be written in to the book of life. Because Jesus was blotted out that we might be written in. Jesus was blotted out that we might be written in. Praise his name. And that really is the wonderful thing that our names are written in his book. Never to be blotted out. Never to be removed. Despite our sins, they will never be removed. Because God is faithful. And that really points to God's faithfulness in renewing the covenant with his people. As we see in the story of Israel, which unfolds in chapter 34, we see God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people. Because God renews his covenant with Moses. He tells Moses to come up the mountain, mountain, and then he renews the, the covenant with his people through him. Only Moses can come up the mountain, because only he is able to approach the Lord. And as the Lord comes down to meet with Moses, we can see that Moses praises his holy name, as we heard earlier in verse 6 and 7. Moses carries the two tablets of stone for the renewal of the covenant, and we see the wonderful graciousness of our God as he says, I am making a covenant with you. And the people, the people deserve nothing but judgment, and yet they receive mercy. They receive mercy through their mediator. And that is true of us, that we deserve nothing but judgment, but we receive mercy in Christ in its fullness. We don't, deserve, we don't deserve anything, but we get grace and mercy through our mediator, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we want to live as his holy and treasured people. We want to live lives which are distinct as his holy people. Because as you look at verse 12 and 15 of <clears throat> chapter 34, it says, be careful. Be careful in treaties and contracts. And the the context is political treaties with other nations, with other people. But maybe the same can be said, really, if we're doing any kind of business in our lives today, that we would be people who act with integrity in every contractual discussion, that we would pay our taxes as we should, and that we would be people who are marked out as holy people in business. And then also, be careful in worship. We are what we worship. We are what we worship. And therefore, we must be mindful of anything in our lives that leads us to worship anything else. And it could be 
the simplest of things like a hobby, a spouse, your children, your bank balance, your pension, your savings, your car, anything that is placed in front of the Lord can become an idol. So be careful what you worship. The Lord is a jealous God. He is jealous of us. And he doesn't want a part of our hearts. He wants the whole thing. So be careful what you worship. And lastly, be careful in relationships. The Lord is jealous. He's jealous of us, for you and me. And therefore, he calls us to live as his people. And therefore, in relationships, if we're married, we stay married. But if we're single and looking for a spouse, we need to be mindful of who we choose. We choose someone that follows the Lord and the Lord alone. If we look for someone that follows other gods, as it says in the passage, they will lead us to worship those gods. And therefore, we really need to choose. If that is you today, you need to choose who you will worship. Will you worship the Lord? Or will you worship a God of your own making? Be careful who you worship. Because what we, who we worship is very important. We are what we worship. Because as Jesus says, where your treasure is, well, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we want to do things that please the Lord because he is pleased with us. He is our heavenly father who loves us and we are his children. We don't want to do anything that goes against him. We don't want to wrong him. We don't want to sin against him. We want to live lives that please him because he is pleased with us. And therefore, as the Apostle John says in 1 John 5, 21, Dear children, as his beloved children, keep yourselves from idols. And that surely must be our prayer too. If there is anything in our life that is being raised up to become an idol in our life, smash it. Smash it to pieces. Keep yourself from idols because we are God's beloved children. I'm going to leave two or three minutes of prayer as we think about some of these things and as we think about God's faithfulness to us as well. Father God, we thank you for your graciousness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us displayed in Christ, that he paid for our sins in full, that our names might be written in the book, that he was blotted out, that we might be written in forever. We thank you, Lord, for that. In light of that, help us, Lord, to to smash anything that lifts up uh, worship to you that is not of you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live lives which are distinct and holy as your beloved children. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we do hope you've enjoyed this time uh, this morning. I look forward to catching up with you um, on Zoom for coffee. Uh, it was a wonderful hymn to close with, wasn't it? Uh, just to remind ourselves of the freedom that we have as we follow Christ and that the fleeting pleasures of this world bear no comparison to the eternal crown we look forward to as we go to, to see him one day.
Let me close with some words that Paul wrote to Timothy, but which are appropriate for us as we go into this uh, this week. He writes, but you flee from all this, talking about the idols of the world, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Amen.